Amen, amen. All right. Uh, so I'm going to take a minute to tell you about some of the some of the work that I do. Just kind of like get you to, to understand. So what, what, I, what I do is once a year, I do a mission trip to, to Mexico. And, uh, and so then often in that same year, I'll go back on my own, but just to like teach. They have me go and teach in the assembly there and do some seminars. But what, what we do, and if anybody would like to come, what we do is we, we, we go to the main city. Then from there, we go like a two-hour trek up the mountain uh, into the uh, villages, and we stay up there. And every day, we go into the villages, and we evangelize. And then within that, they've started quite a few assemblies. So we'll try to visit one or two a day and encourage them in the Word of God. Because when they come to Christ, there's a lot of opposition, kind of like the Thessalonica church. They get saved, and the relatives get mad because they left their, their tradition, their, their, their uh, religion. And so they get really upset because over there, the, the culture and religion are kind of married together. I don't know if that makes sense to you, right? But it, 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 it kind of comes as one. So they take it many times. When you come to Christ, they take it as, oh, so you're turning your back on the family. No, I'm going to Christ. Yeah, but the family is of this religion, of this culture. So when you're saying that, you're turning your back on us. And so they get very angry. I don't know if you knew that or not. And so the, the tradition, very similar to what was going on with Thessalonica. And so many of them get persecuted. In fact, uh, there's towns that are so, so um, traditional, so cultural, that when the missionaries try to go in there, they'll chase them out. I went to one where they threw some rocks at us and we had to get out of there quick. Right? But, but one missionary I was sharing with John went to a particular town and the people were very angry with him because he was going into a couple of homes and doing Bible studies with them. So one day when he went up there, they, they, they always take a team of about 10 people with them. They beat him up. They started to beat on him. And the people who were hosting the Bible study grabbed him and dragged him in the house and locked the doors. So then those same men were so angry, they went to their homes and got machetes. They surrounded the house. They're saying, send them out to us, and they wouldn't do it. And so they were praying, of course, like crazy inside. And they were throughout the night. And around 3 or 4 in the morning, one of the guys that were part of the missionary team was able to sneak out without being seen and ran down to the, to the local village to call the police. So they were coming with the police. And when the men saw the police coming with them, they, they left, right? But uh, he got beat up pretty good. He got beat up twice in another place as well. So you think, like, how can that be happening in Mexico? Well, hey, there you go. And all of Latin America, it happens many times. And yet people uh, are getting saved like you would not believe over there, all the Latin Americas, and God is doing a mighty work there. That same place where he got beat, now there's a local assembly. And within about 20 minutes of that one, there's a second one going. And in between the two, there's a, a camp now. The, 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 the main church bought a, uh, some land and is building a camp. And when I was there last April, 260, listen to that, 260 youth and college and career kids showed up for that camp. They have no, no running water. They, they, they have no ovens. Everything is cooked by wood and by, with big pots. 
right? So it's all going back to the pioneer days, and yet the food was freshly cooked every day by many women come up and men and volunteer, and they're cutting and cooking everything because for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, everything has to be made by hand. There's no refrigeration. And the food was delicious. Nobody got sick, right? Praise the Lord. I mean, can you imagine having to prepare for 300 in the morning, lunch, and dinner? And on Sunday, 600 people showed up. And they got huge pots this big, this tall. And with firewood, uh, a bunch of men were there, and they kept putting firewood in there, cooked all night. Pozole, uh, uh, hominy soup. It's very popular over there with meat inside. And everybody ate on Sunday. It was remarkable. We saw quite a number come to Christ. And, and on Sunday morning after Lord's Supper, we baptized 11 believers. So if anybody wants to come with me to that, I'm going to be going next March during the Easter break. If you go there, you're going to be sleeping either in a tent or in a, the second floor has wood planks. And pretty much they give you a slot. And they're going to stick you in there. It, it, it's not for the weak. I, I did not shower myself in three and a half days. I was cleaning myself with wipes. The lines for the bathroom were six deep. There was three toilets for the guys. And by the time you got there, you were almost dying, right? Ah! And so the showers, the showers are solar powered. And so only... Only five or six guys get to shower, and after that, you know, and, I, and I'm a freeze baby, so I'm like, no, I'm going to wipe myself down. <laughs> so the, the conditions are not the greatest, but, man, the Spirit of God was moving so powerfully, I didn't care, right? And, and to them, they're, a lot of them are poor. To them, this is just everyday life. And, uh, wow, within that camp, watch how God works. There's a road going right next to the chapel, and when I mean road, there's no cars going through. People in donkeys and walking, right? So it's not like you're thinking. <laughs> it's roads where people walk by. They walk by literally right by where we're preaching. And they stop and they listen. So what we noticed was, because we started Thursday, it was Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. So there was some men there. There was three men with their kids. One of the guys that voluntarily worked on building the chapel, which is not finished yet, uh, invited them. So they came. And we didn't know who they were because we hadn't talked to him. And they're listening, uh, kind of standing off on their own and listening. So on Saturday morning, some of the evangelists, they came up and said, hey, we've been observing and listening. We want to know more about Jesus and salvation. So they talked for several hours. Then they said, we're not, getting, we're not ready to get saved yet. We understand what we need to do. Uh, something holding us back. Of course, we know what that is, right? So the next day, they show up, and they go and talk to the evangelists again. They said, uh, we're still not ready to get saved, but today we we're going to go take vengeance on three men, and we were going to kill them. But we know now by hearing the word of God that that is not right, and we're not going to do it anymore. So... I'm looking forward to when God is going to save them. Not only did they say that, but I had three or four other people tell me, man, I, I know I need to get saved, but something's holding me back. But in spite of that, we had quite a number come to Christ. So then on Saturday morning, we made an invitation. Look, look, some of you, 
are probably already saved, but you've never made that uh, public testimony through baptism that, that you've gotten saved. Who is going to be brave and get up and give testimony? We'll baptize you tomorrow morning. And we had 11 come up. They wrote out their testimony. Oh, my, they're tearjerkers. You know, it's like, wow, what the Lord did. And when they got baptized, uh, I, I was so moved because they didn't just, yes, I believe and get baptized. They were like, man, I believe. And they were crying as they were getting baptized. I was like, Lord, I've never seen anything like it. I was more moved by that than anything. And crying, giving the testimony, I belong to Jesus. And there was, there was a, like 400 people, two, 300 on each side watching this. It, it, was, it was an amazing thing. So during that trip that I'm going to do again, I can only take five people with me. So if you want to come, you have to let me know now so I can set your name apart because I'm only taking five. In August, I go, and we take about 10 to 12, and we do evangelism and outreach in villages. Tremendous experience. Many of those that we led to Christ, we go back, and we see them growing in faith, and it's so exciting, as I was telling you. Right, so that's, that's part of my work besides the camps and other things that I do. But God is moving, and God is moving powerfully. You know, so remember to pray, because we're in spiritual battles, like I said. Uh, the, the, the weirdest things happen when we get into those villages and start preaching the word of God. Uh, it, it's going to sound kind of crude, but sometimes women start breastfeeding right in front of you. It's like, do you need to do that right now? You know, I'm in the middle of preaching the gospel, but it's an interference. And I'm like, man, I can see Satan doing that too. Interrupting in any way he can. I don't know if you've ever seen that and being in a spiritual battle like but, man, we need prayer when we go there. One, one particular brother confronted, uh, there's no children here, right? One particular brother, one of the evangelists, went into a home because a family called them and said, look, our daughter has a demon. You have to come and see this. So we went over there to confront it. And that, that girl, 14-year-old, was crawling on the wall. People. I'm serious. She was crawling on the wall. And we're like, and, and so they started praying and, and they couldn't, they couldn't handle that. Demon was too powerful. They go back a few days later, and the demon was moving around her body. You can see the, it moving. Right? This is what they're confronting every day. After that confrontation, this brother stands 6'4", 280 pounds, and he's like this, right? He was sick. He got in bed. He couldn't get out of bed for five days. The demons are powerful. And yet God is breaking through, and we're seeing people get saved. And, and uh, man, you, you got to see what God is doing over there. The battles are, are intense and tremendous, but God is working. God is working. All right? Amen? Aren't you encouraged by that? Yeah. All right. And so be encouraged, people. Even though the world is so perverted and so much sin and, and so much negativity, God is still working powerfully, and we're seeing people come to Christ. All right. So, let's, let's consider today's things. Now, what would you say, I want your participation. What would you say to a group of young believers, four to six months in the faith, being persecuted, suffering for their faith, and all that, what would your encouragement be to them? What would you tell them, just off the hand? Here's one of them, right in front of you. What are you going to say to them? Come on, can I have some participation? 
What would you say? Huh? Keep your eyes on the Lord, okay? I like that. I like that. You are blessed, okay? All right. All right. Yes. Grow in the Lord. Stand firm, right? I, I, I'm so excited you're standing firm. What else would you say? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean out on your own understanding, right? Amen. That's some good stuff, right? So you think, what, look, look at what Paul tells him. You think, ah, oh, come on, Paul. What's the matter with you? <laughs> and yet it's the, the inspired word of God, right? And here's what he says. And by the way, it's in the command mode, which means it's not an option. Isn't that interesting? Now watch. First Thessalonians chapter 5. And look at verse 16. Rejoice always. Hey, wait a minute. I'm being persecuted. Uh, I'm suffering. All that. Rejoice. Like, is there wisdom in that? Sure, because it's the word of God. Right? And God tells us the truth and nothing but the truth. So he says, rejoice. He says the Philippian church said thing. Rejoice in the Lord always. Always. Rejoice. Right? And so isn't that interesting? A, a, a group of new believers that are being afflicted, that are being attacked by Satan, trying to get them to walk away from the faith, that, that are persecuted and suffering. Hey, hey, rejoice in the Lord. <laughs> then he tells them, pray without ceasing, verse 17. But look at verse 18. In everything, give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. In what give thanks? In everything, in everything, give thanks. Now, lately, it seems like everything in my house is breaking. Anybody been there? Right? So, it starts out, our washer and dryer broke. I'm like, oh, man, there's $1,300 we weren't counting on being drained out of the account. Uh, all right, take it out. Let's go get a new one. What are you going to do? Right? The next day, the crock pot breaks. All right, well, that wasn't as much, but... All right, throw it out. What are you going to do? You know, and then a few days later, the refrigerator stops working. I'm like, oh, my goodness. And so I started like, oh, Lord, this is frustrating. And then I remembered, hey, Ray, aren't you preparing to come to Brantford? And didn't you just read what I said? And everything give thanks? Really? And I stopped. I said, Lord, I, right, stop, stop. I thank you, Lord. You said in everything... Thank you, Lord, that the refrigerator is not working. And everything, I'm serious. I'm serious. Lord, I thank you. And I thank you that that thing broke. And I thank you that I had to go get a new washer and dryer. And I thank you that my car wouldn't start this morning. And, and I had to clean the thing and make, but it started finally. And Lord, and I praise your name. So as, as you're reading the Bible, it changes your whole perspective. Right? So rejoice in the Lord. But I'm suffering. Rejoice. In everything, give thanks. Man, but Lord, they beat me. In everything, give thanks. I thank you, Lord. My car broke. I thank you, Lord. Bad news. I lost my job. I praise you, Lord. In everything, I give thanks. That's what it says. Oh, it doesn't say except for, right? Except for, it says in everything. And so isn't that interesting? In, in, in everything, give thanks. Why? This is God's will. You know, people say, I want to know God's will. You know what it is? Give thanks in everything. Are you doing it? No, I'm not. I'm grumpy. Well, then you're out of the will of God. You're out of the will of God. 
the will, this is the will of God. In everything, give thanks. Are you doing it? Well, you're going to start now, aren't you? <laughs> Amen. You're going to start. And, and people always, young people, I want to know God's will. All right, look, look at 1 Thessalonians 4.3. 1 Thessalonians 4.3. Okay, for this is the will of God. You want to know God's will? Hey, young people, you want to know God's will? What is it? What is God's will? Your? What is he talking about specifically? Sexual sin. What are they pushing today, even with children? Sex, 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 sex. It's all about that today, right? You don't even know what sex you are. And it's, all, it's all about that. And, and they're, they're shoving it down their throats. And yet, what is God's will? You, you, but because uh, everybody else is doing it. You know, the trend today is that people who grew up in a church hearing the word of God, the couples, they're like, well, you know, I know it says that, but they still move in. They don't get married. They just move in. That's what they're doing all over the U.S. What is God's will, they ask me. Well, look at the Bible. What does it say? Here's God's will. Uh, your, your sanctification. That is, that you abstain from what? That you abstain from? Look at the text. What does it say? You abstain from what? Sexual immorality. That's clear. How clear can God teach us or tell us, talk to us? What is God's will? In everything, give thanks. Are you doing it? What is God's will? Your sanctification that you abstain. And yet, Satan being the master deceiver and, and the master destroy, destroyer wants to destroy the local church. And what is he using to destroy local churches? Huh? Adultery and fornication, right. Sexual immorality. And it keeps working because we're in the flesh. Right? Wow. And so, but, but what is God's will? I, that's what I want to know. God's will is that you give thanks in everything. God's will is your sanctification, that you abstain. God's will is what? That you be saved. The, the, that's what we say. We call the known will of God, the revealed will of God. That there's no doubt. Now, who are you going to marry? It better be a believer, right? 1 Corinthians 7, only in the Lord. Uh, but, but he's so good, he goes to church. No, 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 don't tell me all that. People call me. Hey, Ray, would you do my marriage? Tell me about him. That's the first thing I say. Well, you know, he's good, and, and he goes to church, and and it, no, 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 no. Tell me, tell me. Here's what I want to hear. He, he, he knows the Lord as a Savior. He's living for Christ and he loves him. And then we're going to get together with Christ in the center. Uh, so you're telling me that he's religious. He goes to church and he's good. But you're not sure if he's saved. No. Okay, then I won't marry you. I'm sorry. Go find someone else. I'll marry two non-believers. I've done a lot of those. Because all I do is use an excuse the marriage counseling is all just giving them the gospel. That's all I do. Yeah, I'll marry you. And then, uh, but you got to let me do four sessions with you first. Okay. All right. And so, man, gospel, 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 gospel. <laughs> That's all I do. So, yeah, he bring, brings it right to me. I'll marry two Christians. Praise the Lord. That's what we want. But a Christian with a non-Christian, I refuse. I will not perform that. Get somebody else. Yeah. I'm not talking to you anymore. Don't talk to me. I, I'm not going there. I, I'm not going to because you are directly out of the will of God and you want me to somehow bless this union. I'm not doing it. Let somebody else do it. So what's, uh, what's the will of God? What's the will of God? In everything. 
give thanks. This is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. But this is the will of God, your sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 5.19. Here's the will of God. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. Do not quench the Holy Spirit. See, when the moment we get saved, the Holy Spirit comes into my life. Right? I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. I am sealed with the Holy Spirit. I am comforted by the Holy Spirit. I am guided by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is His job to make you like Christ. And so the Holy Spirit starts to work in your life. And you know that you can resist the Holy Spirit because you've done it, haven't you? You know why I know? Because I've done it many times. Many times to, to my shame, but I've done it. If you say you haven't, you're lying. Because we all do it. But I'm learning more and more as I'm growing in my faith and, and, and understanding Scripture better and allowing God to work in my life that it don't quench the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, you have to produce Christ in me because I can't do it in my own and in the flesh. I've tried. I can't change. I can't stop looking. I can't stop cursing. I can't stop lying. I can't stop gossiping or whatever your thing may be. But you have to do it for me and, and I don't want to quench your work in my life. And so the, the will of God then is that in everything give thanks. The will of God is your sanctification that you abstain. The will of God is what? That you do not quench the Holy Spirit. All right, so this is what we call a set of three. Rejoice, give thanks, don't quench the Spirit. In, in the give thanks, we looked at uh, A and B, the will of God. In everything give thanks, the will of God, your sanctification. So it's rejoice, give thanks, and don't quench the spirit. The second set of three is found in 520. 520 uh, through 22. Do not despise prophetic utterance. Basically what that's saying is teaching and expounding God's word. And not necessarily, because I've heard it many times explained this prophecy, talking about you know the rapture, end times, and all that. But it's more of a general term saying the teaching of God's word. You know, 1 Corinthians, you can speak in terms of it, but I'd rather you prophesy. In other words, I'd rather you teach God's truth, the principles of truth. So that's what he's saying. Don't, don't ever get tired of hearing the word of God expounded and taught. And never neglect the public reading of the word of God. That's why I always like to start out reading the word of God first. Right, so, so don't... Uh, don't despise, don't neglect, don't get tired of the teaching and expounding of God's word. Second, test all things, hold fast to what is good. Now, this is, this is just general wisdom. As you're growing in a Christian faith, you're like, okay, is this true teaching or not? Whatever is good teaching, I'm holding on to it. Whatever is bad, I'm letting it go. Not, not only that, but as I'm making decisions, should I allow this in my life or not? I'm going to test all things. And if this is not good, I have to let it go because it's disturbing my walk with Christ. So uh, it also says in 1 John several times, test the Spirit to see if they're of God or not. So the Bible talks about several times testing. You know, test. So don't just accept. Don't be gullible. Uh, you know, listen to the teaching. Make sure it's from God. In fact, uh, Paul tells Timothy, Timothy, examine yourself and your doctrine. 
Now, I got a brother in, in Columbus Bible Chapel that's like a theologian. He's got like a doctorate. And I, I, every time I speak, I tell him, brother, I want you to listen. And if there's something that doesn't sound right, you're going to come and you're going to tell me. So he told me one time, Ray, the way you said that, it kind of sounded a little off. Doctrine, uh, be careful. And we talked about it. And I go, you know what? I made a note. Not going to do that again. So, so we have to be careful, even us as presenters, that we're, we're teaching the Word of God. So test all things. Hold fast to what is good. Now notice the next thing. Abstain from every form of evil. So what I've noticed is that sometimes you look at an article, you know, you're, you're um, going through the Internet. We all, we all do it, right? We're surfing or whatever. And, oh, that article looks interesting. You read it. And you're like, oh, man, you just filled my head full of garbage. I wish I wouldn't have read that, right? And so, so that, that's what it means by, by abstain from every form of evil because it made me think wrong. I shouldn't have read it. And I've done that, unfortunately, too many times over and over again. I'm like, ah, oh, when am I going to learn? You know, don't fall for those titles because then you read it you, you, you put junk in your head that you shouldn't have put there. Right? It makes you think right. Abstain from that. And then there's also the abstain from, from certain things because of love for my brothers. You know, uh, somebody asked me, do you drink? I said, no, no I don't. Not, not that, that I think it's wrong and you can have some wine occasion or whatever, but, but uh, I, I don't want to stumble my brother, and so I'm going to abstain out of love for the Lord. I'm not telling you what to do, and no, I'm just giving you an example. Right? The Lord will give you that conviction of the things you have to abstain from. But let me give you some of the reasons. We're doing a, a, another Bible study in the home, discipling other believers, new believers, and the lady that opened the home to us, her husband had not gotten saved yet. She got saved and wanted us to meet at her house for the discipleship. So there we go. We're going there. He was in the room next door, uh, the, uh, the kitchen, and, and he was a drunk. And he would have his a pack of 24 beers. Every time we'd go there, he'd be laughing. Hey, Ray, he'd tell me, look, here's my God. And he'd open up and start drinking, you know, and he would drink beer. And then what, what was happening was that through all of that, he was listening to the teaching. And then one day, in one of our studies, he just gets up from the kitchen, walks into the room, and he's crying. I want to get saved. <laughs> Can you believe it? Can you believe it? And so the Lord powerfully saved him. So then we started discipleship, and, and in this case, we did it with men. So the brother who hosted the study this time was an Italian. We've got some good Italians here, right? And so, you know, I, I, I had been his friend for many years, and whenever I'd go to his house, it was not uncommon for him to give me some wine with our dinner. And no big deal. So this guy comes, and there's that bottle of wine there, and he starts to shake. He goes, he go, Ray, Ray, you can't do that to me. You know what I used to do before I got saved. He goes, you put that wine in front of me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to want to have that impulse of going back. And so I told the brother, Brother, even though we know it's okay, that's not a sin, out of love for him, put that up. And don't ever let him see another bottle of wine or anything in your house. And he did it. And we build him up in the faith. See? And so that's, I think that's just a practical way of saying, how, how do you abstain, uh, abstain from, from every form of evil? And that's a good way to, to apply something like that. 
All right, now, let's, let's look at a few, what I call the exhortations. The exhortation. Now, as we look at these, I purposely am going to go from 2 Thessalonians to 1st, you know, just to get you moving the Bible a little bit and to keep you from getting bored. All right? So, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, 1 to 3. Go there. Okay, now, this is what I call a series of exhortations. And uh, these exhortations uh, are just for our blessing or, or, or teachings, things that we should be doing. All right, ready? Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord may spread rapidly and be glorified just as it did also with you. And so the first exhortation is pray. Pray for us. Pray for us. 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. 5.25, brethren, pray for us. So he, he says several times, uh, I am praying for you. I thank God for you. And I'm praying as I see your faith growing. Now he says, now you pray for me as well. Missionaries need to be prayed for. Now, have you ever done mission work? Mission work comes with it many miseries. Many times you get sick from your stomach because you're many times in a place where it's not very sanitary, but you want to respect them and respect their culture and you want to eat the food they offer you. And as a consequence, Montezuma gets a hold of you. You understand what I mean by that, right? And it's rough for missionaries because you know, they often get sick. A friend of mine that went to work to the field said it took him like six months to get used to the food to where he wasn't getting sick anymore. And often they'll get sick. It's tough, and the living conditions are rough, and they don't have all the conveniences that we have. And so it's easy to get discouraged. So you need to pray for them. Pray for missionaries. Have you ever thought of that? Lord, I pray for the missionaries. Don't let them get discouraged because, man, maybe right now they just are tired of getting sick and getting that stomach ache and, and feeling that they're going to throw up and feeling nauseated and feeling weak in body. Encourage them, Lord, so they won't walk away from the mission field. You pray for them. They need prayer. And so Paul, being a missionary, part of the missionary team, he says, pray for us. Uh, pray that as we're preaching the word, people get saved just like they did in your local assembly. Watch verse, the second reason, verse 2. And that we may be delivered from perverse and evil men, for not all have faith. So what's the next thing he's saying? Please pray that God will protect us from these men that attack us because we're preaching the word of God. Now, there's a movement today. I forgot the name of it, but it's this movement, universalism, I think it's called, that says that, you know, God, God's going to save all men. But that's, that's not true. It tells you right there, not all men are saved. So watch out for that teaching. A friend of mine was going to a Bible study, and, and a group of them there uh, started saying that. And they're like, no, that kind of licks the Bible. Many men are going to be condemned eternally uh, to hell because they reject truth. All right, now, 2 Thessalonians 3 and 6. Let's go there now. 2 Thessalonians 3, 6. Let me take a sip of water. It says, Now we command you, brethren, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you keep aloof from every brother who leads an unruly life and not according to the tradition 
which we received from you. Now, you can put a little note on there. Unruly means that they don't work. They were being lazy. They were loafing around. Some think that they were being that way because they're like, oh, the rapture's going to come you know, pretty soon. And so why work? He's going to come and get us. And you know people, they put on their white outfits and they go to the top of a hill and they're waiting for their, their and they pick dates and all that kind of stuff, you know. Uh, and so maybe that's why some of them were doing it. I don't know. But regardless, they were being unruly. They were being lazy. They weren't working. For you yourselves know, verse 7, uh, how you ought to follow our example because we did not act in an undisciplined manner among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread without paying for it. But with labor and hardship, there it is, we kept working night and day so that we may not be a burden to any one of you. Not because we do not have the right to this, but in order to offer ourselves as a model for you that you might follow our example. For even when we were with you, we used to give you this order. If anyone will not work, let, neither let him eat. For we hear that some among you are leading an undisciplined life, doing no work at all, but acting like busybodies. Now, such persons we command and exhort in the Lord, Jesus Christ, to work in a quiet fashion and to eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not weary in doing good. Okay, and then now notice 1 Thessalonians chapter uh, 3, uh, 4, I'm sorry, and verse 11. And, and to make it your ambition to lead a quiet life and attend to your own business and to work with your hands just as we command you so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. And so, it said, well, well, Ray, that is so fundamental. And so, hey, it's in the Bible. And if it's in the Bible, we're going to teach it. So what does the Bible teach? That Christians should be hard workers, that we should work. To not be lazy. And, and I find that many assemblies don't grow because not only the, the leadership, but the people are lazy. They don't do anything. And they expect that God is just going to bring someone and they're going to get saved. Now, once in a while, a miracle happens and someone walks in the door and they get saved. But that's few and far apart. Most of the time, we have to work. We have to work at it. We have to do events. We have to invite. We have to... Somehow get them to, to, to hear the gospel and to bring them in. We have to labor. But not only that kind of labor, but go and do your own job so you can pay your own bills and, and buy your own car and put your own gas in and pay for your insurance. That's just fundamental Christianity is that we work. We're responsible. We're responsible. And so there's no easy ride. Everybody has to get up and go to the grind. Adam and Eve are to blame for it. Nonetheless, we have to do it, right? We have to work. So that's the exhortation that they work. Then next, don't go weary in doing good. You know, those of you who are Sunday school teachers, I tip my hat off to you. You can be there 10, 12, 15, 20 years, still teaching that same class, still doing it, and you can grow weary and just say, oh, man, I'm so tired of doing this. And sometimes you want to quit. And I've wanted to quit many times. 
Now, it doesn't mean you can't change ministries or work. Maybe you do need to have someone else teach that class and you do something else, right? That's okay. But don't go weary of doing good. Keep on doing good. Keep serving. Keep visiting the sick. Keep calling the elderly and the shut-in. Keep doing that work. Don't go weary. Don't get tired of doing it. I was in an assembly in Dayton two weeks ago, and as we were uh, talking, he said, you know, I'm, I'm getting weary. So we, I led him to that verse. Don't go weary and doing good. Keep doing it, brother. Keep serving. God is with you. We were able to encourage him to not go weary in doing good. In fact, Galatians 6 and 9 says, do not go grow weary in doing good, especially with the household of God. And so first, we serve and bless each other, the household of God. Then we go out and we reach the, the lost community. But it starts first here, right? If our people uh, lost a job or somebody's sick and they need help, our responsibility is to help them first. Then we help the outside. All right? So that's an important little principle. All right, so, so what else does he say? Stand fast, firm in the Lord, 1 Thessalonians 3. 1 Thessalonians 4 and 9. Notice that, how interesting. Look at this particular exhortation. Now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Verse 10, for indeed you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia, but we urge you, brethren, to ex excel still more. Now look at uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 12. And may the Lord cause you to increase and abound in love for one another and for all men, just as we also do for you. And so, well, what does he say? As I look at your church, Thessalonians, as I look at you, uh, you are taught by God and you are a loving church. But watch what he says. But that's not enough. You never love enough. You never exhaust love. Take it to another level. And the Lord has been really convicting me about this. You know, you're not loving enough. Uh, yeah, you, you, you do love, but come on, let, let's keep increasing. Because God's love is inexhaustible. And you never get to the point where you love at the same level as God. So you are taught by God. You're a very loving church, but excel still more. There's still higher heights of love that you can get to. You know, this particular brother in our assembly, that he and I clash. Hello. It's just that his way and my way are just, it just, it just, boom, right? And we try to have fellowship, but man, I, you know, I don't care for his way. He doesn't care for my way, right? You're not used to somebody telling you the truth, are you? Right? And so... We got together and we talked over a few things, and, but still, we just don't have any connection. So I said, Lord, you know, even when we get together and we talk as men, his, he rubs me wrong when he talks. Boy, it's hard to love him. Of course, he's thinking the same of me. So I said, Lord, would you please increase my love? I just read it. And, and, and you need to increase it because, man, I had such a hard time. And you know, about three weeks ago, we got together at a prayer meeting. And he was sharing something. And for the first time, I, I didn't feel disgusted hearing him talk. 
Say, Lord, you answer prayer. You're giving me love for him and appreciation. Where before, it's just like, oh, everything did just rub me wrong. You know, the Lord will answer that prayer. Increase my love. Increase my love. All right. And so then he goes on with some more. There's a lot of exhortations that he gives. So I'm just going to do it to a certain time, and then we'll quit. So, so in, in, in 1 Thessalonians 5, 8, he says, Put on faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. He already mentioned that before. So that's the armor of God in Thessalonians. Faith, love, and the helmet of hope of salvation. Then he says, and I think you have it written down on one of your walls here. I saw it somewhere. Uh, or was it at your house, John? It says, uh, comfort each other and edify one another just as you are also doing it. Is it here? Downstairs? I thought I saw it. Yeah. I said, hey, man, look at that. So there you go. You have it in your wall. Because then he said that you would walk worthy of the calling. We already considered that one. So let's go to 1 Thessalonians 5.12 now. Watch this. But we request of you, brethren, that you appreciate those who diligently labor among you and have charge over you in the Lord and give you instructions and that you esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Wow. Okay, what is he talking about? To esteem and to, and to hold them very high and to love them dearly to the elders, the leadership. Brothers, uh, unfortunately, too many times I've heard over and over and throughout my experience in my Christian walk, slamming of the elders. Just cutting them down and just talking bad about them. How about we change that? How about we change that and say, praise God for them. I'm not willing to do it. They are. Lord, I'm going to pray for them. I'm going to esteem them. I'm going to appreciate them. Thank you for what they do. Thank you that they're willing. Thank you that they sacrifice time. And, and, and Lord, more love for them, more prayer for them. Let's hold them up. Great exhortation, isn't it? Great teaching of the Word of God. Recognize and esteem those who labor among you, and, and it's specifically talking about the elders. And then look at the next one. Live in peace with one another. That kind of seemed like, well, that, that, well, that was kind of like no big deal. Yeah. <laughs> Live in peace with one another. I don't know, but over and over again, every week I hear, oh, the assembly split. The assembly split. What does that tell you? That they're not living in peace with one another. It's selfishness. It's I want to be the boss. I want to lead. They're not at peace. We're going to address that a little bit more tomorrow. We'll leave it there for now. Let the Holy Spirit convict as he wants to. Now, so here's a series then of five exhortations. Live at peace with one another. Next, look what he says. And we urge you, brethren, admonish the unruly, the undisciplined and the, the lazy. It, it seems like every assembly has an unruly one. <laughs> don't, don't, don't point them out. Don't point them out. <laughs> Comfort the faint-hearted. Every assembly has faint-hearted, easily discouraged. Some people are a lot of labor. Constantly have to go visit and come on, brother. Come on. Don't faint on me. Get up. Let's go. Serve the Lord. Be firm in your faith. 
right? The faint-hearted. Uphold the weak. It could be physically weak or weak in faith. I think it could be, I think it's both. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Oof, can't hear that enough, right? All right, Lord, I'm patient with the one that is my cheerleader, but the one who, who uh, you know, doesn't think I'm that great, man. It's hard to be patient with them. But it says be patient with all men. Woo, we have a lot to pray for, don't we? Please, Lord, man, you, you're, you're asking things that are so difficult of us. All these things we, we wrestle with, don't we? And then, kind of like to put a little bit of icing on the cake, see that no one repays one another with evil for evil, but always seek after that which is good for one another and for all men. People, we have to be different. We can't be those who are paying evil for evil, who somebody does you wrong, and you go back and you do the same thing to them. Let, let me give you an example. A, a, a couple had us over. We were all excited. Oh, they invited us over for dinner. Good, we're going to go for dinner. We went over there. And all they did was the whole time we were there, slam us and cut us apart. And the first reaction is, you know, just get up, walk away, and tell them to go jump in the lake. But at the same time, my wife and I were praying, Holy Spirit, I'm fixing to curse them. I mean, they, I cut us up and shredded us. It was horrible. So we left. We were just, just crushed. We were home, and neither of us could sleep all night. And we called the next day. We got to meet with you again. We met with them. Like, we, we, we can't leave with this anger that I feel. I don't want to repay evil for evil. And we talked again. We still couldn't resolve. We said, Lord, you have to help us here because this is really tough. And I'm going to tell you that today we are one of the closest couples with them that could be possible. But how can that be? Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. They... They look for us. We pray. We talk together. My wife and her talk every Sunday, and they meet, and they, and they're, and, and it's like if nothing ever happened. Only God could do something like that. Only God. But it started with us saying, "We're not going to repay evil for evil. We're not going to curse because I wanted to at that time. I'm not going to slam them because I wanted to." And my, you know, they're like 17 years younger. My wife is going to say, "Do you realize that?" I'm an older woman, and you, how you're disrespecting me. We wanted so much to just say all kinds of garbage, but the Holy Spirit helped us to stay under control. But I'm telling you, you cannot repay evil for evil, and if you don't, God will reward that, and he will repair those relationships to where they're deeper than they were before. I'm a testimony to that. So that's why he's saying, be patient with all men. Uh, live at peace with one another. You know, uh, comfort the faint heart. Uphold the weak. Be patient with all. Don't render evil for evil. We have to be different. And the only way to be different is that we do not grieve the Holy Spirit, but allow him to give us the love of Christ and to transform us. To transform us. Okay. I gave you a lot of stuff. Let's, let's, let's stop right there. Let's stop right there. Uh, Father, Wow, everything that you have given us here, 
in these exhortations have to be a work of the Holy Spirit. They do not come natural. So, Holy Spirit, would you produce Christ in us? Would you help us to live out what you have just asked us? Because we can't do it, Lord. It's so tough. But help us, we pray. Help us, starting out from the very thing, in everything, give thanks. And our sanctification. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.